Kia ora, no mai ki te whare. Welcome to The House. I'm Johnny Blades. The 54th Parliament finally got underway this week with two days of ceremonial pageantry and formalities. The first of those two days saw the swearing-in of MPs and the election of a new Speaker of Parliament. MPs were sworn in on a book or an object that has significance to them. Usually it's a religious scripture or a constitutional item, such as a copy of the Treaty of Waitangi. MPs each signed documents and made oaths or affirmations and pledged their allegiance to king and country. A bit like this. I, Nicola Anna Gregg, solemnly, sincerely and truly declare and affirm that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors according to law. The six MPs of Te Pāti Māori followed protocol but also each added a second oath. Before making their way across the chamber to the clerk, they each swore allegiance to future generations and to adhere to tikanga Māori and te tiriti. Taku te whiris. E oa tiana, ka noho pū mau, taku pono, ki a tātou mokopuna, e ai ki te tikanga Māori. Ka kawea hau i oku mahi, me oku herenga, me te whakamahi hoki i tōku mana, e ai ki te tiriti o Waitangi. I, Taku te whiris, swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to our mokopuna. According to Tikanga Māori, I will perform my functions and duties and exercise my powers in accordance with Te Tiriti o Waitangi. Not only was there a lot of te reo in use during the swearing-in of MPs, but a good number of members used other languages too. Like Rima Nakle, the new Lebanese-born MP for Takanini, who spoke in Arabic. Ana Rima Julian Nakle, aksumu halal ikhlasi walwala sadiki لصاحب الجلالة الملك تشارلز الثالث ولورثته وخلفائه وفقا للقانون والله المستعان. Or Carlos Chung, the member for Mount Roskill, who gave his oath in Cantonese. 本人春浩 Carlos Chung 僅次宣誓將依法決成效忠查理斯三世國王殿下以及其集繼承人和繼任者願主佑我。After all that swearing in, a new speaker was elected. The member who got the nod was Nationals Jerry Brownlee, who also happens to be the longest continuously serving member of the current parliament. Um, look, I just want to you know, give some indication of uh, how I might work. Firstly, can I say that our standing orders uh, really are just a guide for how this house works. They're important and they give us a framework, but they're not absolute. I want to uh, acknowledge the uh, seven speakers that I've served under in my time in the Parliament. Uh, many of them at some point or another have come under some opprobrium from parts of the House, quite often from me. <laughs> and I think that that is unfortunately the lot of a speaker, but I'll do my best to be uh, fair and even across the House. So can I, with those uh, uh, remarks, uh, thank the House uh, for their confidence. Uh, and express the wish that uh, we all might get on a little bit better than I got on with some of the speakers who've gone before me. <laughs> I suppose in that regard I should also acknowledge my biggest challenge will probably be keeping myself in order. <laughs> but before the real business could get underway, the state opening of Parliament had to happen first. 
It began in ceremonial pageantry around the arrival of the Governor-General, Dame Cindy Kiro, attended by cohorts of military officers. Once inside, Dame Cindy read the speech from the throne, which is prepared by the new government, and outlines its priorities and policy plans. The new government will show its respect for New Zealanders by spending public money carefully and with a clear purpose. The government has many priorities and among them are rebuilding the economy to ease the cost of living, delivering tax relief and increasing prosperity for all New Zealanders. The government will restore law and order and personal responsibility so Kiwis feel safer where they live and work. It will deliver public services so they are more efficient, effective and responsive to all who need and use them. The government will also strengthen New Zealand's democracy. This was followed later in the day by the address in reply debate, in which party leaders responded to the government's priorities and plans. There was strong criticism from Labour leader Chris Hipkins, and one of the shortfalls he zeroed in on was what he called the government's lack of a meaningful plan for tackling climate change and also the cost of living. It's all hollow rhetoric, greenwashing, if you wanted to call it that, which is actually going to see New Zealand's climate profile getting worse again. And given that that was the cost of living uh, election, Mr Speaker, I looked closely in the speech from the throne and the coalition deals to see what they were actually going to do about it. And there's very little in there that's actually going to help New Zealanders to tackle the rising cost of living, particularly given the things that are in there are likely to keep inflation and interest rates higher for longer. They're off to a shambolic start, but sadly there is a lot more to come. When he took his turn to speak, the new Prime Minister Christopher Luxon attacked the previous Labour government, and Chris Hipkins in particular, at a level perhaps not seen from him before. But you can see he's sitting over there asking the question, how has he survived when nearly half of his caucus lost their jobs under his leadership? Why is he still here after squandering and decimating an absolute majority in just three years? And I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about Chris Hipkins a little bit. And I just have to say, he's, he, he, is, he is like... Yeah. He, is, he is actually like an arsonist who, having thrown an accelerant all over the joint and lit the place up, he doesn't just slink off actually leaving the scene realising he's caused a huge amount of damage. He just simply loiters and hangs around at the scene of the crime, actually just waiting and watching everything. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the good news I've got to tell you is the fire brigade is showing up and we're going to deal with it. If this was setting the tone of discourse that we may expect in Parliament this term, the next day was even more intense, as Phil Smith discovered. Thanks, Johnny. Kia ora, Kofor Smith, aho. Thursday began with debate on a motion regarding a ceasefire in Gaza. Ultimately, every party voted for the motion, but there was a lot of strong language, accusations and personal attacks across the House as amendments to strengthen the motion were debated and largely rejected. On the whole, the governing parties were more cautious or more focused on Israel's need for defence, while the opposition parties were more focused on Israel's recent use of force and decades-long occupation or control of Palestine. It's not often the foreign affairs spokesperson for a major party will describe the actions of a friendly state like Israel in these terms. Called to an end to this depravity, this genocide, this slaughter, 
That's what it is. No nice words can change the reality of that for women and children and innocent people in Gaza and now increasingly in the West Bank. There is no excuse for what might have started this. For more on that debate, you can find our report from Thursday online. Once it was over, a more normal day began with the first question time of the 54th Parliament and the first chance to see how the MPs perform after the switch of ends. It was also the first full run around the field for the new referee, the Speaker, Jerry Brownlee. Mr Speaker, I asked the member what the difference between what the government does support and what it doesn't support is, and he hasn't addressed that. No, I'm ruled on the point of order yet. Well, it's my first one. <laughs> uh, that, that unfortunately is the, the, um, the lot of anybody asking an oral question. Like referees at a Rugby World Cup, speakers can have an enormous influence on the game, and they can sharpen or dull Parliament's effectiveness in holding the government to account. It is, of course, early days, and how it plays out as the Speaker settles into the big chair will take time to see. And the Ministers and Opposition will also take time to find their feet. But regardless, it's worth poking around the entrails of the first day to see how it went. First things first, Parliament's prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks for the blessings which have been bestowed on us. Laying aside all personal interests, we acknowledge the King and pray for guidance in our deliberations. Every day at Parliament begins with a prayer, and has done since the beginnings. The prayer focuses on MPs' ethical approach to their jobs, that they lay aside personal interests and work with wisdom, justice, mercy and humility for the welfare and peace of New Zealand. Yes, humility. Anyway, you might remember that in early 2018, Trevor Mallard, as Speaker, decided to secularise the prayer. Previously, it ended by specifically invoking one of the Christian trinity, and now it just addresses itself to God in general. Pick a God, any God. There was quite some kerfuffle at the time. The more conservative end of New Zealand's churches were outraged and protested volubly against it on the front lawn. Any change of speaker can add new rules and also alter their interpretation. By report, Mr Brownlee is something of a traditional conservative, and he likes tradition. So it's always possible that recent rule changes could revert to the old ways. Things like, say, the wearing of ties. Could returning Jesus to the prayer be a litmus test of that? That we may conduct the affairs of this house with wisdom, justice, mercy and humility for the welfare and peace of New Zealand. Amen. You'll notice no God's names were included in the prayer this week. We hope to sit down soon with the new speaker and ask about his plans and his approach to the job of referee. We come down to oral questions, the first in the name of the Right Honourable Hip, uh, Chris Hipkins. Most voters neither notice nor care about oral questions to ministers, but politicians and journalists take the daily skirmishes that occur in question time very seriously. Poor performance can deflate a party or an MP pretty quickly. A good outing can buoy the troops. On Thursday, there were a few strong engagements and one occasion where National tactically outflanked the opposition. The primary questions are set in stone hours before the House begins, and Chris Hipkins' first question to the new Prime Minister was this. Thank you, Mr Speaker. To the Prime Minister, does he stand by his statement, we also want to see steps made towards a ceasefire? 
It seems that Labour had chosen to focus on Gaza because it believed that the Gaza motion wouldn't be debated until next week. But National either hoodwinked the opposition or pulled a fast one, leaving Hipkins stuck with a lame duck topic and many fewer bullets in his gun. It was a clever move from National, ensuring that Christopher Luxon got a smoother kick-off to what is a new skill area for him. Labour obviously saw the tactic as not exactly cricket. Chris Hipkins raised it with the Speaker between the Gaza motion and question time's beginning. The first is, I think, in the five and a half odd years that I was Leader of the House, I cannot recall a situation in which I put a government motion, government notice of motion before the House without first discussing that with the Business Committee and seeking some agreement as to how that motion was to be handled and who was to speak on that motion. My understanding is that there was a discussion at the Business Committee this week and that there, on this particular motion, or a, or a variant thereof, and there was agreement that it would be deferred until next week and that the government subsequently decided to pursue the course of action that they have today. Uh, that uh, has a number of implications for the House, and actually, it, first of all, is a breach of good faith across the House. But the second is it would actually mean that potentially members on this side of the House might have made different decisions. You'll see my question number one, for example, was lodged uh, on the basis that we were not going to be having the debate that we had just held because that is what the Business Committee had agreed. And so uh, I would ask you and the Business Committee to reflect on the process for how motions like this should be handled. Uh, you, you know that I'm a strong supporter of the Business Committee. I believe it should work appropriately. The question discussed at the Business Committee was a matter of leave that was proposed, not the motion. So I don't uh, think the Business Committee can be too much criticised for others' actions beyond that. Leave is what you need to propose a motion, either leave of the House or leave of the Business Committee. National had apparently sought leave for a motion from the Business Committee and then preempted it with leave from the House. The Business Committee is where senior members from every party meet weekly to pre-arrange things so that the House moves more efficiently. Things agreed by the Committee are taken as gospel in the Chamber. Things will probably go more smoothly this Parliament if the Business Committee doesn't itself become a tool in the chess game, however clever the plan. And you have to presume that the new Speaker was not in on it. Speakers traditionally stand well apart from their own team's tactics. They don't attend caucus or other occasions where tactics might even be discussed. It can leave them cut off from their colleagues, but it is necessary to keep them above the fray. Despite being gazumped, the Leader of the Opposition did still get in one or two decent questions to the new Prime Minister. The Prime Minister delivered quite a few good punchy responses on Thursday, although they felt more like practice talking points than actual answers, and they were delivered regardless of whether they really matched the question. That's not a new tactic in question time, and it can be effective, but it can also get tired. Uh, Did he consider his obligations under the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control to keep tobacco industry influence out of government before making the delegation to, on Casey, to the Honourable Casey Costello, who has previously chaired the Taxpayers' Union, an organisation reported to receive funding from tobacco companies. Yeah. Labour's health spokesperson Aisha Verrill had a good run around the park with Minister of Health Shane Retty, focusing on why he has delegated responsibility for the smoke-free portfolio to his associate minister from New Zealand First. Casey Costello. I considered no. all the required responsibilities when just, I made the delegation and the minister has I'm full confidence in the minister. 
Well, can I just say to Lamima, uh, that question was really quite a long way uh, from where we need to be. Uh, well, the, the question, the primary question is about a delegation from one minister to another. That's right. Asking, asking about potential conflicts of interest in a delegation is absolutely in order. Uh, Oshaville. The interchanges involving Nationals Nicola Willis and Grant Robertson were, like an economy, buoyant and occasionally volatile. Mr Speaker, supplementary question. Is she now regretting saying that the government's tax cut policies would be paid for by rolling back the smoke-free law changes? To, to quote a member of this House I admire very much, one Judith Collins, I regret very little. Supplementary. So that was actually Edith Piaf, if I remember uh, correctly. Um, supplementary question: On what date will New Zealanders know how she is paying for the tax cuts that she has promised them? They will know in due course, and I'm sorry to say it, but I doubt that the member will be the first to know. <laughs> so she can she confirm that she is telling the House? She doesn't know how she's paying for her tax cuts and she doesn't know when she's going to be able to tell New Zealanders what kind of tax cuts they will get or how they will be paid for. Uh, Mr Speaker, as I said in answer to the primary question which the member may not have listened to, yes, the tax reduction package promised by the government in the speech from the throne will be self-funding. And I'll tell you what else it'll do. It'll put real cash into the bank accounts of working people, bank accounts that have been eroded by a cost of living crisis presided over by that member who overtaxed them, spent their money badly and left the economy in tatters. For Parliament watchers, the next period is not likely to be dull. You've been listening to The House. It's a whakaranga koe This programme is produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matawa.